I think in this series that we're in, which is the series on the family of God, I feel and have felt more of an urging each week to go back to our previous weeks to remind us of where we've been. I think in all series that we do, there's a connection point, but in this one in particular, I, I really believe that we are each week building upon what we've already learned. So I I feel the urging to remind us of where we've been as often as possible. God is teaching us what it is like to live as his church. And we're in the part of the series where we're getting instructions from his word on what we do and how we live as his people. But we have, we're receiving those instructions based on the foundation that we started. That foundation that we have tried to come back to over and over is that there is a fellowship that exists, a beautiful fellowship, a koinonia for all of eternity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have been together sharing mutual love and care and honor and righteousness and holiness and power. And when you and I believe in our heart that Jesus is the Lord And when we confess him as our savior and we are saved, we are brought into that fellowship. He doesn't create a separate fellowship that kind of mimics it for us to live in. He invites us into his family. He invites us into that fellowship to share in that love and that care and that honor and that righteousness, even in the power. And now as we live this life, We are dependent upon two things. Primarily, we are dependent upon Jesus. We saw that in the the picture of the vine and the branches. Jesus is the vine, we are the branches. The Father is the caretaker of the vine. We draw our spiritual life from Christ. It is not about you and I living better, doing better, trying harder. It is about receiving the life of Jesus. It's mysterious, but it is the gospel. Secondarily, not of that importance, but of great importance, we are dependent upon one another. And we saw that in the imagery that we are a body made up of many parts, Those parts have different names, different appearances, different functions, but we are all to be together as one body. We cannot look at a part of the body that is unhealthy and not be concerned about that because it it impacts the whole body. And so that's where we started getting into the instructions. We started in Hebrews 3, where we see that even for Christians, there is a threat that we must deal with, and that threat is unbelief. Where unbelief sneaks into our heart, does God really love me? Can I really trust him? Will he really meet my needs? Is the Bible really his word? Should I really follow him? Are these instructions life? That unbelief is always trying to get to us. Is he really good? Does he really see me? Is this really the way? And so we must take take care of the condition of our hearts. That's what the Bible says. But not just our own hearts, one another. Because if we are a body, we're concerned not just with the part we are, but with all of the parts. So Hebrews 3 says, every day exhort one another. Every day, you and I, to be fully spiritually healthy, need the exhortation of another believer. To encourage us, 
to persuade us, to plead with us, to comfort us, sometimes to admonish us, which is why then the next week we looked at Hebrews 10, which says, then knowing that God has designed this so that you and I are a means of grace in one another's life to propel each other to keep believing and keep believing and keep believing. Therefore, Hebrews 10 says, you need to make it your priority to be together. You need to have the intentional priority of being together as the church. We said there, weekly at a minimum, but it should be as much as we can within that week. The Lord's Day gathering for worship, smaller groups to be together, whether the church is programming that or not, just looking for ways to be together. Hebrews 10 says, make it, make it that your, your habit for worship and exhortation. And then we further went into that last week when Kevin preached for us from Ephesians 4. And if you're a note taker, if you want to pull out your worship guide, we will start today with a reminder from last week. Also, let me say, if you are here today, if you don't have a Bible, there's copies of God's Word on the back table. Please take one of those as our gift to you. If you know someone that you're ministering to in your life that you would like to gift them a Bible, pick one up and take it to them. From Ephesians 4, if you're a, someone likes to fill in the blanks, this reminder from last week, this is what Kevin was preaching to us. Every member of the body of Christ is responsible to build up their local church by the giving and receiving of time and treasure and talents. And talents being the service through God-given gifts. Every one of us, because we are part of that body that we should be coming together to exhort one another. And Ephesians 4 says we have a responsibility when we are living together in this church, that we are to build one another up, and in doing so, we are building up the church. And how do we do that? And I love what Eric just said, because, and, and actually have it later in my notes, it is a giving of yourself. We use this time, talent, and treasures to get us to thinking about, it's not just about giving materially, although it is. It's not just about giving of your time, although it is. It's not just about serving with your gifts, although it is. It's about all of you. It's about your whole life being given. For the purpose of building up the church, you and I should want agape to be healthy. Not so the church can be great because we're not in competition with other churches, but because this is the body of Christ we've been placed within. And it exists for the glory of God and for the good of each other. So we want this church to be strong because when it is healthy, then we're healthy. And so we are to be responsible for that. All of us are. We go back to 1 Corinthians 12. God has brought us together. He brings us together in such a way that He knows what the body needs. You are not here by accident. You may think what well, you're here because of this path that you followed and these people that invited you. No, you're here ultimately because God brings people to certain community groups to certain fellowships and he says okay this is where for this season I want you to be because you have a need that this place can meet and this place has a need that you can meet so the big picture is as we look to Christ as our life the vine we need one another God has designed it as a general rule that no one can be fully spiritually healthy 
without constant exhortation from other people in the body. So we need to make it our culture as a church that the gathering of the believers is a priority for us to worship and to encourage each other. And we should be intentional not just to gather, but we need to be intentional that when we gather, we are ready to give of ourselves. I hope you'll go sometime this week and listen to the podcast Josh and I recorded this week about preparation for worship. It was, I think, a word that God gave Josh in one of the messages a couple of weeks ago, and we put that in a podcast form. We're talking about how we prepare to be together. It's not just about attending. It's about being ready to be together. And part of that is that when you and I come together, we should have the intentional thought, how will I strengthen my brothers and sisters today when I gather with them? What can I do to encourage the church? What can I do to build it up today? Maybe it's going to be to look through the room and and find that person that's kind of sitting off by themselves. I'm going to go over there and and say hey to them, shake their hand. I'm going to go and greet them. Or maybe, maybe I'm going to serve in some capacity when the church gathers. But I'm going to find a way to give of myself because As I give of myself, the church will be built up. And also, as I receive from others in the church, I will be built up. And that is why giving and receiving is necessary for us to be a strong body and for us to glorify Christ. And so where we're going today now, with all of that as our backdrop of where we've been so far, where we're going today is that this building up of the body is for our spiritual strength but it is also to advance the mission of the church. You and I have a stake in the mission of this fellowship, but I want to go deeper than that. You and I have a stake in the mission of one another, of who God has called us to be and what God has called us to do. You and I have a mission to a a share a responsibility to help one another fulfill that mission that God has given us. So that's our instruction for today. I said each week we're trying to look at kind of one instruction from the church. So in your notes, here's the instruction for today. God tells us that we are to build one another up. And when we do that, we are building up the church overall by sharing what you have been given, becoming partners in the trials of mission. We are to build one another up by sharing what you have been given, becoming partners in the trials that come with mission. So, in Philippians 4, look at verse 14 that Tamar read for us. This is not written as a command. It is written as a narrative, a beautiful description of the partnership between the Apostle Paul and the church in Philippi. But I do believe that the narrative here helps us draw out this principle that you and I are to share what we have been given to help one another in the trials of mission. I believe we see that in Philippians 4.14 as a narrative, but I also believe that we see it instructionally in other parts of Scripture, including 1 Corinthians 12 that we've already looked at in this series, where Paul says, I don't want any division in the church, and here's why. Because as a church, 
you should so care for one another that if one of you is suffering, it's like all of you are suffering. If one of you is being honored, it's like all of you are rejoicing. That is the kind of care that we're supposed to have for each other. That's the kind of partnership. That it's not just if someone in the church that you've been placed in is suffering that you're like, oh, man, I hate that. But no, no, no. You somehow, in a way, you suffer with them. Or if they're being honored, especially as they're being honored as they follow Christ, it's not acts, it's not thoughts of jealousy. Oh, I wish that had happened to me. Why are they being honored? No, you're rejoicing with them. That's the kind of care we have in the church. And that's the kind of care that we see in Philippians 4.14. So listen to this phrase. It was kind of you to share my trouble. Now we'll talk about the context in a minute, but I just want you to get that phrase in your mind. It was kind of you to share my trouble. Paul is writing this from prison. He is writing it to the church in Philippi. They have sent by one of their own, Epaphroditus, they have sent gifts to Paul. Probably meager gifts because this was not a rich church. Maybe they sent him a blanket. Maybe they sent him a cloak. Maybe they sent him some money. They sent him something when they heard he was in prison for the gospel. They sent one of their own to take it to him. And he writes back to them. He gives Epaphroditus a letter and he says, take this to the church. And he says, it was kind of you to share in my trouble. I want to break that down for a moment. First of all, this is one of those places where I'm not really a fan of how the ESV did it. It was kind. Sounds like that was a nice gesture. Thank you. But in actuality, that word that the ESV translates kind, it's it was right for you to do this. It was suitable for you to do this. Literally, you did well in sharing my troubles. That's how some of the other translations put it. That word share it means participant, a partaker. He says, it was right, it was well of you to participate with me in my suffering. And that word trouble, it means suffering, it means trial, it means distressing circumstance. Agape, think about this. We are called as a church to live in such a way that we can look at one another and say, you did well participating with me in my trial. You did well participating with me in my distress. You did well participating with me in my suffering. I want everybody who calls this place home to be here on Sundays as often as they can to worship. I want everybody who calls this place home to get together in smaller groups. But church, if it's just attendance, we miss it. It's mutual care. It's love for each other. It's concern for one another to the point that you can look at each other and say, when I was suffering, when I was in distress, when I was going through my trial, you came and participated with me. We are not just individual parts floating out in space waiting for that day to all be called together. We are a body 
There is a universal church, but he places us in local fellowships so that we have the opportunity to be able to learn what it means to be part of the body. We are called to be in each other's lives far more than any of us are comfortable. That's reality. Even those of us who want as much of community and as we can get, there's a point where we're just like, I'm, I'm kind of maxed out right now. But the writer of Hebrews says, no, 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 keep going. Until you, the more you see that day drawing near, keep going, keep going, increase in it. But I want us to think not just about our trials, because we can think about that. Like, I was stressed out about money. I, I was stressed out about my kids. I was stressed out about my marriage. I was stressed out about something happening at work. And yes, we should share in those things. But the context here is mission. The context here is the suffering and the trials that happen as we live mission. So I want you to think about it this way. Every one of you in this room called to Christ who have been saved, you have a mission to advance the gospel. Period. That is not just for a leader to do. That is not just for your neighbor to do that knows more of the Bible than you do. That's not for the younger people. It's not for the older people. If you know Jesus, you have an, a mission from Him to advance the gospel. And He has put you into your sphere of life intentionally to advance the gospel in that sphere. So if you're a dad, you're advancing the gospel with your children. Husband, advancing the gospel with your, your wife. A wife, advancing the gospel with your husband. A mother, advancing the gospel with your kids. If you're a carpenter, advancing, advancing the gospel as you meet with clients and build things. If you're, if you're like me, you're in IT, you're working on a team, you're seeking to advance the gospel among the people that you interact with. Yes, that's dangerous in the world we live in today, but that's what we're called to do, to look for ways to advance the gospel in our church to advance the gospel, in the community that we've been placed in Pinson and Clay and Tarrant and Centerpoint and all around us to advance the gospel. That's our mission, corporately and individually. Every day, we do well to think about that. We have times and talents and treasures to offer for that mission. God has gifted us in certain ways to enable us to advance the gospel in particular ways. Your personality, the way that you were formed, the things that you're good at, intentional by God because He knew where you would be in 2023 in June of that year, and He intended for you to have what you need in time and talents and treasure to advance the gospel. But as you seek to do that, as you seek to advance the gospel, you will suffer. There will be trials. It might be you suffer sleep. You're tired more than if you just gave your life to yourself. It might be you suffer through having to be patient with people that are really hard to be patient with. You don't have the right to just say whatever you want to to someone because you are a representative of Jesus. That's a trial sometimes. We go through trials 
We may suffer because we're, God calls us to give to someone and we're not going to have as much money as we thought we did or that we would. God may give us something and then say, give it away. I didn't give you that for you. I gave it for someone else. We may suffer because as we're trying to live out the gospel and bring the gospel, people reject us or people hurt us or people slander us. I could go on and on and on and on. We suffer. That's what Jesus told us to do. And like our, <laughs> I don't want to blanket this like every church does this, but you know, we, we've kind of, we've kind of gotten the call to Christianity down in America. It's like, come, come and receive and come and get and it's going to be glorious and come and get that life that you've been longing for. Jesus said, pick up your cross, follow me, come and die. That's how you find life. It's a little bit different than sometimes we say, but that's the call to life. I think Eric, I think Eric read it a minute ago. Anyway, it's in my mind if he didn't. If you really want to keep your life, if you want it the way you have it, and you want to build up your life the way you want it to be, you can, but in the end, you're going to lose it. But if you're willing to, to release that life and say, God, it, it's yours. You gave it to me anyway. What do you want me to do? Then you will find life. That's the dichotomy. So as we face these trials, the call that we have is look to one another. Don't hoard your gifts. Don't hoard your time, your energy. Don't hoard your resources. Share them. Share them with others in the church, especially as they face trials in their mission. That's the picture. So I want to explore how this came to be in Philippians 4.14. If you have a Bible, if you will, go over to Philippians 1. And I'm going to start there and read a few passages. And in your notes, once you get to Philippians 1, if you're a note taker, I want to start with this thought. We're going to build on it. Our shared fellowship creates mutual care in the church. Our shared fellowship creates mutual care in the church. One of the things that I loved about Kevin's sermon last week, something that he pointed out, is that you and I don't create unity. Think back to that picture I gave you a moment ago. There's a fellowship that's existed for all of eternity, completely in unity. We're invited into that. When we become a part of the body of Christ, we are brought into unity. It's given to us. We're called to maintain it. We're called to not let it go. We're called to make sure that we don't do things that destroy it. Well, that same fellowship, that same shared fellowship creates in the church mutual care. Why do you care for this person? It's not just because they have a similar personality or a life season that you kind of like them. They've been nice to you. No, the, the picture is you care for one another because God has brought you together. One of the ways that you know you're a believer, according to 1 John, is you have love for the church. Why? Because Romans 5, 5 says that in salvation, God's love has been poured into your heart by the Holy Spirit. God loves His church. If God's love is in you, you will love His people. 
It's not something that you drill up on your own. You will find that you have a care for the church and a care for the people in the church. It's part of that spiritual experience of being a Christian. John went as far as to say, if you have hatred in your heart for your brothers and sisters, then you have no reason to think you're actually saved. You love God, you will love His people. So, let's look at this from Philippians 1. I'm just going to read the first ten verses or so. I just want you to hear how Paul starts this letter. Remember, he's in prison, Epaphroditus has come, I have gifts from the church in Philippi, and Paul is like, oh, I'm, I'm going to write them a letter. I want you to take this letter back to them. And this is how he starts it off. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I want to pause for a moment. Agape that we would love each other so much that every time we think about each other, we thank God. That if somebody in this fellowship just comes to your mind during the day, you like you to stop and say, I, God, I thank you. I thank you for Jason. I thank you for Terry. I thank you for Corey. That that wells up in us. That's the kind of care we're supposed to have for one another. Always praying with joy for all of you. And look at why he said this, though. Because of your partnership in the gospel, your koinonia. He doesn't say, I'm so thankful for you because we've always gotten along. I'm so thankful for you because you've always been nice to me or you, you've met my needs or you've done all the things that I thought you should do. No, he says, I thank God for you because we have this partnership together in the gospel. Partnership brings relationship in the church. We try to do it the opposite. We try to come into a church and say, let's build relationships and then maybe we can go partner together. Jesus says, no, I'm putting you in fellowship together. I'm putting you together in partnership. Now build relationships off of that. That's the common link. It's not life season. It's not hobbies. It's that we share Jesus together and we share His mission together. So now we live together out of that. Verse 6, I am sure of this, that He who started a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Indeed, it is right for me to think this way about all of you because I have you in my heart and you are all partners with me in grace to stop there for a moment he says i think about you i pray about you one thing i am sure of i long to see you sanctified and i am convinced that god who has started this good work in you he is going to finish it and i am thankful for that and i am so glad i think this way because you are in my heart i love you. You have my affection. And all of this because we have been partners together. Partners in grace. And then he goes on, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Paul says, we have been partners together because you have been kind to me when I was in prison, but you were kind to me when I wasn't in prison. And that kindness he's talking about is you partnered with me, helping me complete my mission. 
you found ways to help me fulfill what God had called me to do. And now that I'm in prison for doing what God called me to do, you're still right there next to me. And you are in my heart. For God is my witness how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Agape, do we miss each other when we're not around each other? We should. We should have such mutual care that if we look around this room and we say, I've not seen so-and-so, I long to see them, to see them part of the community, to be with them. Let me go and reach out to them and let me talk to them. Because we long for one another. That's the goal. That's what we're supposed to live into. And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ. So he goes on to say, I, I want you to keep going and keep going in knowing Jesus. I want you to learn how more and more to discern what's right, what's wrong. I want you to approve the things that are right and good. That's his heart for the church it was the shared fellowship that Paul had with the church in Philippi that created that kind of love. I want you to read Philippians 1. I hope you'll go back and look at those verses again and be astounded at how much he loved that church. And I want you to remember he loved them that much because of their partnership. Go to Acts 16. Read how Paul started the church in Philippi. He had a vision of a man in the district of Macedonia. God said, go there. So he did. Philippi is where he went. Paul always went to the synagogue when he got to a city. But when he got to Philippi, there was no synagogue, which means there were probably less than 10 Jewish men in the city. So he didn't know where any believers or any godly people met. Someone told him, well, there's a group of ladies that meet outside the city and they pray. And he says, well, I'll go there. So he goes there and he meets a, name, a, a woman named Lydia and he teaches her the gospel and she is saved in all of her household. Then he goes into Philippi and he comes across a slave girl with a demon. And he frees her of that demon as she is saved. And then the masters of that slave girl, because the demon allowed her to do fortune telling, they were mad at Paul and Silas, so they had them beaten and thrown into prison. While he's in prison in Philippi, he's praying and worshiping with Silas. And a great earthquake comes and all of the doors to the prison open and their chains fall off and... What would you do if that happens? You'd run. What'd Paul do? He stayed put. The jailer woke up. He saw all the, do the doors were all open and he said, all the prisoners have escaped. He grabbed his sword. He was going to kill himself out of the shame that would come for him falling asleep on the job. And Paul yelled out to him and said, no, 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 we're still here. The jailer goes to Paul. He falls down in front of him in fear. And Paul teaches him the gospel and he is saved in all of his household. And that is the start of the church in Philippi. Paul would visit them over and over again throughout his missionary journeys. Paul gave them what he had, the gospel. Giving and receiving is what builds up the church. Paul gave them what he had, the gospel, the love of Jesus. So much love that when he was beaten for saving, for sharing the gospel that saved one of them. And he went to prison. 
When the doors opened, he knew that jailer would be in trouble. He refused to leave, and the jailer was saved. And likewise, this church loved this man who had taught them the gospel, and they were always looking for ways to support him and help him. And this is how their partnership started, and this is why they loved each other. Not because of likes and dislikes and seasons and hobbies, but because of a partnership in the gospel. In your notes, our shared fellowship creates mutual care in the church. This mutual care looks for opportunities to express itself. Mutual care always looks for opportunities to express itself. If you really care for each other, you are looking for ways to show that you care. Paul says this in verse 10. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. In other words, he was saying there's been this moment where you haven't been able to get to me. You didn't know where I was. You didn't know how to help me. And so you couldn't. You wanted to, but you couldn't. But then you found out where I was and you immediately sent someone to me. Church, we're not always going to know each other's needs. We're not always going to know what each other has going on in life. But when we do know, we should look for opportunities to help. We should look for opportunities to express our concern. It's not just, man, I love you, have a great week. It's what's going on in your life? What trials are you facing right now? How are you trying to live mission? How, what are you suffering because of it? How can I help you? That's the picture. Mutual care always finds a way to be expressed. We're only going to know what's going on in each other's lives. We're only going to know the trials that we're facing trying to live the gospel out if we meet together and share together. Both of those things are important. Meet together and be transparent with one another. The longest running small group that we have in this church, I think, wait a minute, might be Terry's group. Okay, never mind. Mary's going to correct me. No, our group's been reading, meeting the longest. Okay, that's fine. The second longest running group is the deans that I, I'm a part of. And I remember night one when Josh started that group and he said, here's the one thing I, I, I want us to do in this small group. I want us to be honest with each other. No pretense. We're not going to come in here and pretend. And there's been a lot of people that have come in and out of that group over the years. But the one, one characteristic of that group has always been we're not going to pretend with each other. I'm sure Terry's group has done that as well. We have to get together, but we have to know one another. We have to be transparent with one another. Otherwise, we don't know how to exhort one another. And then when we know what's going on, we try to help. We try to help with what God has given us to help. Sometimes that's spiritual Sometimes that's material. I have a personal call to be a dad, to be a husband, to be a pastor, to be a good employee at work. But for the previous two or three years, I had a call from the Lord to take care of my mom when she was sick. Every Thursday, when I headed to my mom's to take care of her, Nick Jenkins would text me and say, I'm praying for you tonight. 
Every Thursday. I know where you're headed. I'm praying for you. When my mom didn't have an air conditioner and I didn't know what to do, Tim Stewart, who owns his own company, sent all his workers home, took a day off from his company, and drove to me and spent all day with me helping me buy another air conditioner to put it in my mom's house so she wouldn't be hot. Patty Ballantyne constantly prayed for my mom and would text me to tell me that she was. I had partnership. When she passed away, I needed pallbearers. I didn't have enough. Sam Knowles, who was going to be on vacation with his family, said, I, I will, I'll leave Florida. I'll, I'll, I'll be there. He was going to drive 10 hours from wherever they were, eight hours, whatever they were, to come back and, and like round trip to be a pallbearer for me. We are called to have such care for one another that we are eager to share with one another what God has given us. Whether encouragement and scripture and prayers or material needs, what you're good at, you're not just good at to make money. What you know how to do, you don't just know how to do it to make a living for your family. It is to share with the church what God has given you. Philippi was not a rich city. They were one of the most influential churches in the New Testament, and they probably never got over a hundred people. They didn't have much, but they sent Paul what they had. In your notes, various expressions of mutual care result in advancement of the gospel, reward for the church, and worship to God. Various expressions of mutual care result in these three things. I'm going to run out of time, so I have to go quickly. But the advance of the gospel, when we partner with one another, that's what Paul tells them in verses uh, 15. He says, you Philippians, you yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you. Even later in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. They advanced the gospel by sharing with Paul what he was doing. When you and I do that, I, I, I don't have time to get into it the way I wanted to, but church, like, don't wait for agape to present you the opportunities for mission. Like, we're not going to be a church that programs it all out. Miss Jackie came to us and said, I, I want to make gift bags and I want to take them to the nursing home in Trustful. Would the church like to help? I said, Sure. We put it before the church, and there were several people who said, yes, absolutely, I want to be a part of that mission. It was laid on her heart. But then she brought it, and many of us had the opportunity to get involved. That's the best way for missions to work. Not for us to have a missions program that decides what the church is going to do, but for the Spirit of God to put it in your heart what needs to happen, and you come and say, okay, now can the church help me with this? And it's not always going to be 100% of the church that does it. But if you get one or two partners in the church that says, yes, I want to help with that, that is us advancing the gospel together. That's how we're going to do ministry and mission in this church. 
And there's reward when we do. Look at what Paul says to them in verse 17. I don't seek your gift, I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. That increases to your credit is language that's used in the Gospels for the day you stand before Christ to give an account of your life. Paul is saying, what I am really happy about is not just that you met my need, but that God is going to reward you for what you've done. He so sees this as part of the partnership of the Gospel, He will reward you for it. And it brings worship to God. God is worshipped. Look at this in verse 18. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. And then look at how he describes them. A fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Paul said, this gift you sent was a gift of worship. When you and I care for one another in the church, it's worship to Christ. When we care for His body, we are worshiping Him. That's the picture. I want to end with this life truth. So bear with me for about five more minutes. But I don't want to skip over this. Contentment in God, in your notes, contentment in God and trust of God are essential if we want to see mutual care expressed in our church. These only come by the act of abiding in Christ. So I want to go back. I want to look at where Paul preaches contentment. Verse 11. He's already thanked them for being concerned about him and sending the gifts. And then he says this. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. For I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. We... We sometimes pull that last verse out of context and we kind of apply it to you know, whatever that we've put our heart to do. And that verse is true, but we need to see it in its context. When Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, he's talking about, I can be poor, I can be rich. I've learned how to do both well because God has made me content in Him. And what I'm saying to you, Agape, is that number one, we will never show each other mutual care if we're not content in God. Because if we're prosperous and we're not content, if we got a lot of time and a lot of treasure and we got a lot of gifts, but we're really not content, we're just going to try to get more and more and more and more. And we're not going to think about giving any of it away. Or if we lack and we don't have enough time and we don't have enough treasure and we don't have enough talent. By the way, I've never met anyone who thought they had enough of those things. I've, I've never had anyone say to me, I got more money than I know what to do with right now. I got more time on my hands than I know what to do with. We all feel like we lack those things. But if we lack those things and we're not content, we'll try to hold on as strongly as we can and not release what we have. And 
We must trust God. So look at where God preaches, look at where Paul preaches trust in verse 19. My God, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. All right, so church, what will cause you to give your time away? Only if you trust God that he will meet your needs. What will cause you to give away what God has placed into your hands as far as treasure? Only if you trust God to meet your needs. What will cause you to give of your whole self, like Eric talked about earlier? Only if you trust God to take care of your needs. If we don't trust God, we will not give anything away. Because we will self-preserve. The way that we become content and the way that we trust is we must abide with Jesus. Go back to that picture of life in the vine. If you and I are not daily spending time with Christ and receiving His life, we will not be content in anything. And we will not trust Christ enough to give what we have away to see other people fulfilled. But if we abide with Him, He will make us content whether we have a lot and we're thankful to give it away or whether we have a little and we're thankful to give it away. We will trust He will meet our needs because we are abiding with Him and He is promising us every day, I'm always with you. I will not forsake you. I will meet your needs.